Hello everyone, welcome to From Door to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at fromnowheretonothingpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. This week, we take a brief intermission from our discussions of time-related topics to examine a trait written into the DNA of every living being, and by extension, in our constructs. We can see it in the imperceptibly slow growth of a forest canopy, in the violent battle of two silverback gorillas, in the sweet songs of a smattering of house sparrows, and in the price tags at our local stores. Today, Norm and I will collaborate on competition. <laughs> Very nicely done. <laughs> so yeah, competition. Um, again, it's one of those topics we always come about them where you hear it at first and you go, okay, I know that this is about, and then you really start to think about it and you go, I have no idea what this is about. Oh yeah. And competition is one of those things, right? And I tried to capture that in the intro a little bit where, um, you know, competition is really no less built into the fabric of our reality than time or than anything else you know yeah, when you mentioned the silverbacks i i think that was a nice touch for that yeah it's it's clearly part of who we are even if we even if we uh legitimately authentically or 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 self-disparagingly say well i don't i i, I don't compete with anybody else but myself but you know <laughs> Yeah. You and I have both said that about ourselves. And I and I think we meant it and mean it. Um, but I think that even that acknowledges that we're not being performative, but we're essentially saying, well, so we're competing. It's just Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, and, and this this was a topic that my uh wife wanted us to talk about. So when when Joel says, if you have a topic you'd like to hear discussed, we really take that seriously. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about anything. So go <laughs> ahead, send, shoot us an email or uh leave us a comment on the Facebook page and we'll we'll cover it. Yeah. So yeah, why did why did Mary want to talk about competition? Why was that her uh, I, I I still have more conversation to have with her about this, but she uh knowing her as well as I do, she she finds that the negative side of of competition, which uh, we'll get to, but it was an article that she read and it just really brought it all out, all out was the idea of meritocracy and how it has been uh, twisted into uh, essentially, as you said before we started talking, burning people out. This was an article uh, about by Daniel Markovitz or Markovitz, who uh, had written. I think he'd written it in uh, 2021, but it was reprinted about uh, not feeling sorry for those in the one percent. Although the article could have sounded like that, uh, but the idea that uh, a meritocracy, meaning you you rise whatever rise means because of your own skills and how well you develop them your own mind and how well you develop it but you're given the opportunity to do that rather than just automatically being on the in group financially uh, but it was intended to be letting anyone go as far as they could which is rather nietzschean <laughs> in some ways 
and um, and it seems to have become the expectation to then still prove that you're part of the upper echelon or the one percent and and instead of the marriage being doing the best you can with what you have the expectation seems to be in social work uh, so a working sense the idea in business and medicine that you're not doing well enough unless you're doing so very much that you can't possibly manage to be human hmm. And that's, I know, really grabbing her because of, of, of some people close in her life who, who work in the medical, well, in our lives, who work in the medical profession. And, and your mom and certainly knows that world. Um, my my daughter-in-law's mom knows that world. Uh, so that you, you can't, you know, standard day for a, a nurse, as an example, is... Oh, 12.30 a.m. to 1, 1 o'clock a.m. the next day. Yeah. When you're trying to make judgments and determinations and working with and, and that uh, clearly. So I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but we'll pull back. But I think that's the kind of reason that we're talking about is what 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 is competition meant to do and what does it actually do? Yeah, I think that that's good, good contextualization for the conversation that we'll have. And it is important because, uh, you know, a lot of normal people don't see some of that. Um, you know, you think about doctors or, or these other professions and the prestige goes along with them. And you, there's just sort of this underlying assumption that these are guys that work 40 hours a week, nine to five or whatever. And they're not, especially surgeons, these types of guys. They have 24 hour shifts, sometimes longer in certain places. And there's been studies that have shown that this is detrimental to their performance and their what they're performing has very important impacts on the lives of those people that they are yeah. you know working with so so yeah it's good contextualization and it brings us to of course the opening question which is what is competition? What do we mean when we talk about this? Did you enjoy surfing through the dictionary definitions? Because yeah. it's amazing <laughs> the variety of, yeah. of things. Uh, competition is a rivalry where two or more parties strive for a common goal which cannot be shared. <laughs> <laughs> now, isn't that interesting? Just think about that in any context. Just the, 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 We slow it down. A rivalry. So we're, 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 we're going to be pushing at each other, uh, striving for a goal which only one of us is, is going to have. Everybody's a Buffalo Bills fan. <laughs> 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 That's what this is about right now. Uh, and, and so it's, in that sense, it's about many things, but it's about an economy of scarcity. There's not enough for everybody. There's not enough honor for everybody. There's there's not enough virtue for everybody. There's not enough reward for everybody. So you just go after it. And, and if you don't get it, well, you're just not good enough. Yeah, and it's funny. I think that that definition, um, that's the first one that I read as well. And I think that if you think about specific cases, it's applicable. But I think when you think about competition as a, as a, a general globalized term, um, it's pretty easy to poke holes in it. And we're going to do that a little bit later in the show, which is why it's disappointing that that makes it into a dictionary definition, right? Is, you know, even yes. if you have several different definitions under the word, um, you still want something that encompasses the full meaning of the word. 
And this seemed like a pretty narrow definition. Well, this is what I was hoping we would get into the, the very much our, our, one of our best modes, which is the Socratic. <laughs> so you, you, you offered the question. I went to the dictionary. That's cheating. So, <laughs> so what is competition? Okay. I'm going to, so I'm just going to try to re reset and then we, competition is a paradigm in which there is a desired goal. Uh, somebody wants some other bodies to reach that goal for the betterment of some group, team, company. And uh, so the, the, the goal would then be to work as a team to achieve whatever the goal has been that has been set. And the goal that has been set is often beyond or outside the purview of the team or the cluster or the group that are being put to the goal. Hmm. Okay. So do you want me to be Socrates or do you want me to give my definition? Uh, I, well, I'd like to give you your definition because okay. so, Socrates would say, so what do you think competition? Yeah. So with me and I, you know, anybody who's listened through the podcast probably has a pretty good feel for the two of us personality wise. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for me, I'm always going back to the most basic level right i like to go back to prehistory mm -hmm. when i'm starting with the philosophical assumption so i to me it, it brings me back to evolution of um you know organic species but also the the molecular evolution of the universe and things and so the way that i sort of conceptualize competition isn't a rivalry you know i don't see two distinct parties I think there could be any number of distinct parties and I don't see it as a striving for a, for a singular goal that neither one can possess. I see it more as the pursuit of an ecological, social, economic niche, um, that may or may not come into conflict with the bordering niches of other entities, right? So competition is essentially the attempt to establish borders, which may or may not be osmotic, either on an organic level or a social level or an economic level, right? That's, and we, I think that that bears out. So on an, an organic level, right? In, in the description or the introduction to the show, I said a forest canopy, right? All of the trees want sunlight. All of the trees want rain. Um, it's not two trees fighting against each other, but it's trees finding where is the border, right? Where am I running into another tree? Where is my space, right? And that, that's the essential question. Where is my space? Where is my space as a living entity? Where is my space as an economic entity? Where is my space as a social entity? And I think that there's a way of finding those spaces without there being um, an, an outlying conflict. Now there's, there is a common goal among all of the parties involved. And sometimes those goals bring each other into conflict. Um, and sometimes those goals have to be shared or negotiated over. Um, but I think that's a more complex, nuanced, um, view of what it means than just Hey, you have two parties and they're fighting over something that can't be shared and one of them has to win, right? I don't, I don't know the competition is ever that simple outside of a sports 
game that has rules, right? Would you? Well, first, I'm I'm just sitting here. If 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 somebody drew me as a cartoon right now, my my hair would be straight back <laughs> with the with the uh, nuanced and intricacies of of that that definition. And I very much very much like that. So yeah, I I, I took argumentative uh, argumentatively the simplest position because. Uh, partly to be argumentative and partly to, <laughs> to 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 point out that it seems to me that the simpler paradigm is the one that the cultural forces societal forces at least and no i won't even say on this continent uh tend to run with most i won no you didn't I won. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. I won. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. And 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 on how much air has that taken? <laughs> and there's a, a you know we like to go to the pop culture. I think about the yeah. end of Infinity War, <laughs> right? In the Soul Stone, mm-hmm. when you know Gamora doesn't ask Thanos if he won, but essentially that's what she's asking. Mm-hmm. Hey, did you do it? And he said yes. And she says, well, at what cost, right? And I think that that's what a lot of us face in reality, right? Is it's not as simple as I won. It's a zero sum game. I am entitled to all of the resources and all of the gains, and you are the loser. Yeah. Most cases in reality, um, winning is nuanced, right? You gain things and you lose things. Yes. Um, yes. I and would, I would agree with that. And, you know, even, even if you gain something that may be of value to you, oftentimes you have to lose some of your time or some of, you know, something that goes somewhere else. So, yeah, yeah, I think this is this is going to be an exciting conversation. Well, the etymology of the word goes originally in oldest uh, Greek, I believe, uh, was uh, rivalry. But then a variant of the word emerges, which means striving for. Hmm. And that's very different. Very different. very different, and the, and within that ancient, relatively small amount of time, two digressive uh, definitions emerge, which is what we just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've probably given a little bit too much insight and foreshadowing to the conversation, but I, it's exciting. It's a good place to it's start. Fun. So, um, when did philosophers start talking about competition? In ancient Greece. Uh, uh, and probably into prehistory, uh, the uh, and and but it has been about most often, uh, at least in the in that historical root uh, system, about the development. It was the the rhetoric was about the development of mind and body because competition was primarily thought about in athletic terms uh, i'm sure it was thought about in business terms too but we didn't have the idea of capitalism and socialism those isms weren't readily being discussed they didn't emerge yet and there's something interesting you see to me when when you read the ancient greek writings which is that so there was a there was a lot of focus on competition right mm-hmm. they had the olympics and they had um and even Right, Socrates, right, in, in the writings of, of Plato, yeah. you see um, intellectual competition. But the competition then seemed to always originate 
from a desire to um, maximize the human potential, yes. right? A lot of, you know, the meditations of Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics and these sorts of guys are always, they're talking about becoming the best person you can be. And so part of that is sort of testing your mettle with other people. Mm-hmm. I think that that diverges from a lot of competition and modernity where the focus of competition is the opponent. It's not, it's not the competitor, right? You're not, you don't think about your role in the competing other than a victory, but really, you know, uh, it's not a self-development thing. It's, it's, it's outside of you. It's the victory, right? It's the spoils. It's that sort of thing rather than an inward, um, development of self, you know, to the, to the highest level. Yes. And, 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 and I, I, I absolutely concur with that, and that's, that's certainly a historical basis. And the, again, the rhetoric was being your best self, which was mind and body. But I still assert that the sports metaphor has overtaken everything from the economy to war, mm. uh, which trivializes and debases the, the very notion of betterment. Uh, and but I, but I, but I think it's become so much about the physical body now, either through uh, athletic overdevelopment, perhaps, uh, or in the body of a company, which you can speak to better than than I can. If if you're melding, I would say that if you're melding uh, the development of brain and body to the betterment of both, who who would argue with that? being a goal. As long as nobody's telling you how far you can go, you have to decide that for yourself with some with some guidance. But in my experience, and certainly in in junior high and high school, which is a very anecdotal thing, uh, it was not about developing your best self. It was about standing back and letting the people who are already developed develop more because you're just getting in the way and taking up their time. Mm. Whether it's on the climbing rope, of, of which you can, uh, you, you could be uh, absolutely brutalized uh, in a bullying fashion from coaches, uh, telling you how awful you were, how badly you know. So I, I think that the the drill sergeant model pretty much doesn't work in education. It shouldn't mm. be there. Uh, that's my thing. Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, and, so, yeah. and I think that there's a lot of evidence for that. You, there is objective evidence for that. You know, if, um, when I was getting my master's degree in education, right? Um, one of the things that they talked about was how in the 21st century, colleges have focused the lion's share of their budget on sports facilities, mm-hmm. right? And you think about what is the goal of these organizations, right? Is it, it's, you know, it should be intellectual development and yet you're spending the majority of your money and focusing the majority of your efforts on sports facilities now don't get me wrong right i think in order to have a strong mind you have to have a strong body Uh, your body is part of your mind so so i work out right as strong as it can be yeah i run and i lift weights and i do yoga and i i sprint and i i do everything i can to stay in good shape and i think that that's that's great but that is different from competitive sports and i don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with competitive sports but i think that what you're saying is that and what i agree with as well is you see that paradigm 
filter out into the wider world. And what happens is, you know, if, if you think that the final score, the zero sum game is all there is to it, and you bring that mentality to the rest of your life, then what kind of people do you get? You get people that try to earn the most dollars, but the time that they spend at home is, is uninvested. You know, there's, there's nothing going on there. Right. And the same thing with, with their children, right? You start sending your children to, to school at two years old and you start having these high expectations for them and pushing them throughout life. Everything becomes this game where you have to attain the highest goal and you have to beat out everybody else. And yet inside you are left hollow, a shell. This is what, yeah, it, it, in part, uh, T.S. Eliot was addressing that when he talked about the hollow men in, <laughs> in one of his more famous poems. I, Yes. So no, I'm not disparaging sports, but but as an example, the the attitude that we seem to develop, at, at least in rural pockets, and I think probably in in urban pockets too. Uh, as an example, a school will have everyone gather out in the hallway to uh, do a hero's honor of. Of someone who's uh, going to go to a statewide competition um, in wrestling or in basketball, whatever. But you know, so there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, they don't gather musicians Hmm. who are going to all-state competition with their skills and do a hero's honor. You don't get you don't get uh, (laughs) rallies. Uh, the takeaway from the uh, instructional day uh, in a gymnasium or an auditorium, a pep rally, in order to send a team on to win. Interestingly, even if the team is formed of three communities rather than one, just so you can feel the team, you don't see that equally with things having to do with intellectual merit or artistic merit. And so one can only read that, that as oh but it's much more important mm. because sports is really and this is this is the dominant paradigm that i hear over and over again sports is what develops the best character and i absolutely deny that yeah yeah you know and i think it all comes back to again the intrinsic motivation because you know i when i was a kid and i don't know i don't even know if they still tell kids this right but when i was a kid you're always told you know well, go out and have fun, right? And that's something that I've taken with me throughout life. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, like I said, I love sports. I've scored a soccer goal as the goalie. I have stolen, <laughs> I have stolen home plate, stolen home plate as a baseball player, right? I love sports, like, and I was good at them, but I always loved playing. I, you know, winning was great. And there was a point in my life where winning did become important. And guess what? I hated what it did to me. And so I stopped caring about it, mm-hmm. right? I started caring about what I like doing. Same thing, right? I had, you know, I release music. People try to push me all the time to market my music, to play my music out places, to try to get more listens and streams, that sort of stuff. That's not why I make music. You know, going to school, right? What's the first thing people always ask? What job are you going to get with your degree? I don't care about getting a job. I have a job that I like. I want to learn stuff, right? I want life to be 
you know, it, it's it's in the stuff that you're doing, right? It's not the final Absolutely. score. If you wait till you get to the final score, then you are dead, <laughs> right? You have to be enjoying what you're there doing at the time. the buzzer, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, but I, and I don't mean to, to, to lead it down into an obsessive track. I just, I thought that to at least start with, or, yeah. you know, to carry through the, the idea, okay, there are competing definitions of yeah. competition. Right. And, and, and competition can be enormously useful. It can also be enormously deleterious. And as with so many things, it depends on who's trying to establish a balance for real or a faux balance that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I've loved the conversation so far, but we're two questions and then I got five to go and we're about <laughs> half, halfway through the show. Yeah. And I've got, I think some of them are pretty interesting. So I'll ask this one. Did the theory of evolution change the way we thought about competition, or did it just highlight the way we think about competition? Well, it certainly it certainly shook up the way that people thought about uh, competition because it it seemed to uh, it, it was asserting a process that was holistic and uh, back to the very beginnings. And it, but it also asserted a blind process, and and people were. Um, I think that's what shook people up most was the idea that competition didn't mean that creatures were <laughs> trying to win something consciously. Um, it's and survival of the fittest, and this is what gets most has been most misunderstood. It was not about being a weightlifter mm. as an animal or some survival of fittest is who is the fittest to survive, as you said earlier, in the niche or the space in which that being has found itself. Yeah. And that doesn't mean necessarily the physically strongest. Right. Yeah. No, and that's that's exactly the point that I think we've been highlighting up, up until this point is that that is the most and I think that that's another area where we, our sports metaphor for life gets carried over, right? Mm. Because I don't even think initially in the 1800s, in a different social era, that people made that sort of mistake or error in reasoning, right? I think that it's, it's more of a modern, uh, interpretation. It, it was as, as the century turned, as the, as, as World War One had, as everything that people thought they knew, was wrong and ripped to shreds and social conventions and all the rest that's when it really began to be revisited but also because an education system was beginning to expose people to it but that's why it was i mean it was it was we had the scopes monkey trial it was absolutely dangerous to think of evolution in some school districts it was banned it was you you, you don't talk about that we still have pockets of places like that now so yeah i don't it, it wasn't that it was always assumed to be the same thing uh but to, but to answer that question i think it shook a lot of people up because they wanted to think that there was more free will yeah and I, but i i think that what you mentioned that is the biggest um flaw in reasoning about it today survival of the fittest right that because they conflate that with another term that that wasn't part of it which is that the strongest survive, right? And so, again, well, now we're now we're asking the question: What is strength, right? And that's its own podcast. <laughs> its own podcast. But 
No, uh, you know, what scientific studies have borne out, you know, um, on, you know, biological studies mm -hmm. is that do animals have hierarchies? Sure, sure they do. But the one at the top, is it the biggest and the strongest? In some species, yes. But generally, and especially in primate species to which we're most related, right? The one at the top tends to be the one who works most collaboratively, right? The one who gets along best with everybody. Um, and that's, that's where I formulated my definition at the beginning of the show, right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. finding niches, right? Finding where you fit into social groups and economic groups and, and, and Markovitz was talking about some of that too. About and, the intent of a meritocracy initially. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I think that you're, you're right. The, you know, the theory of evolution, it changed everybody's paradigms about how, how, what they thought about things. And, you know, specifically, like you mentioned, um, free will and the vulnerability of the human species, you know, and the susceptibility to change and, and, and the realization of, of historical roots and these sorts of things. So, yeah, yeah, I think it had a big effect. So the definary, de dictionary definition that we mentioned, competition dictates zero sum games, right? Mm. Um, what are some instances where losers can actually make out all right? Um. All right, I'm, I'm just going to dive into it. Let me just pop all the, the little balloons that I... Uh, the, the, the current American economy. Oh, <laughs> now, no matter where I go, I'm in trouble. So I'm just... I, I, but if we think about the, the fact that human beings, at least I, all I can talk about is how we... what I know from where I am best, right? Just, just do that. We, we are conditioned in almost Pavlovian sense to to determine our uh, degree of happiness or our degree of success by measuring against everyone else. The whole capitalistic advertisement culture of, of generations of generations has, has been to, well, what do I have compared to him or her? And many of us resist that. And I know that. I know this, that there's counter-cultural pushes that have been and are. And that's marvelous. But then we say, well, what are we getting rid of? How much am I getting rid of? <laughs> How much no, it's not about who's getting rid of what. It's, it's about oneself. And when you can get to that place, and this is about yoga, Zen, what is this, is this about philosophy? Can you be happy with where you are? without comparing yourself to anyone else. Hmm. That, for me, is the existentially most important question when it comes to competition. Yeah, it comes back to Blaise Pascal, right? It does. That the biggest problem with human beings is the inability to sit in a room with their own thoughts. Because yeah. very often, that's where your own thoughts will take you, right? If you are by yourself and there's no outside stimulus, it's sort of the you know, part of our modern world, right, to start making these comparisons out of nowhere, right? And that should say something, right? That the the moment that you remove yourself from everything, what's what's the thing that creeps in? Mm -hmm. It's thoughts about even if it's not material things, right? It's it's about relationships and, and these other areas in which you're 
attempting to establish a niche, right? You're attempting to find and and maximize your, uh, you know, your area of influence in a way. Well, well. even pre pre evolutionarily, pre the formal theory is Kant talking about essentially saying that, that nature seems predisposed to push humans into a, a competitiveness in order to create a society. Hmm. That's a really deep idea, and I can't unpack it all in two sentences, but if nature is what's driving us, and you referred to that back at the beginning, it's in our DNA to be competitive, we're not going to train that out of ourselves, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly not within our visual time frame. Yeah. Um, but if we acknowledge that it has something to do with culture and, and just being human, it changes. And I think this is where it gets kind of interesting, right? Because when you do the research for the show, in, in a, a few different sources that I was reading, they say that, you know, Competition is generally viewed as the opposite, opposite of collaboration. But I think that the conversation we've had so far is adding some context to just what competition is, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that this, this idea of, of establishing a niche, right? Of looking into nature and seeing how, how trees grow in a forest or how, you know, different species of animals what resources they consume and how they share them and how one species establishes a hierarchical order and then how that you know that species you know us goes and creates systems <laughs> you go i don't think that they're opposite i really think that they're two sides of the same coin and, and even beyond that you know they're, they're not even opposites they're very closely they're related yes they are integrated they are related forces as a matter of fact you could almost go as so far as to say in every situation outside of a formalized sport where there's you know established rules <laughs> you are almost always given a choice between competition and collaboration almost always if you think about it in any unstructured environment you and in any instruction environment where you're going to compete, you almost always have the option to collaborate instead. But it's what are the, what are the ramifications of that, right? Does it, is it require you to take a less advantageous niche? You know, um, does it require you to go against your principles? Does it require you to make less money? What does it require to collaborate? And what sort of sacrifices or compromises are you willing to make? And what sort of things are you willing to fight for? And who's doing the incentivizing and what is the incentive? Yes. So that's the And this is the philosophy. And this is this is the thing. These are the big questions that people don't think about before they get into the thick of competition and the starter gun goes and then they sprint through their whole life. You know, this these are the things that, you know, that you're driving. So so competition necessitates two entities is it impossible to compete with ourselves well i don't think so because I, you know, <laughs> we are dualistic at the mm -hmm. very least <laughs> in fact descartes but i i no i i don't think so i think it, it can be a, at, at its best a marvelously as you say integrative dialogue it's the dialoguing 
not the monologuing. Monologuing can get us into a lot of difficulty. Hmm. If all we're doing is monologuing in our head with no dialogue, yeah, no, no pushing back coming in there. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think that good things happen. I mean, let, let's go to the medical circumstance again. If everyone knows that our medical system is messed up, fine doctors say so, nurses say so. The only thing that doesn't say so is insurance companies because they're the ones doing the incentivizing. If it's messed up, messed up as in Let's see, we're making people lose sleep. We're making people not have an integrated family life. We're, we're making, and this is true for, for people on the ground working in, in, in three different jobs because they can't piece something together beyond that. Uh, but if we just stick with the medical model, for instance, if you have something that is about health and you're trying to make the population healthier, if, that, if that's really the goal, you abandon this model or some smaller units within try to abandon the model they'll get swatted down by the enormity of the insurance industry but they'll but they'll make the attempt but we can't say that we have the best medical system on the face of the earth in the united states as one example of specificity when we know that people are actually the the longevity is going backwards mm. uh, with fewer people have access to adequate health Fewer people have access to mental health. Women's health is going down again. And yet we'll have people say the empty words, we have the best system on earth. I don't care. Say it as much as you want to. That's not competition. Yeah. It's the opposite of competition. Right. And most importantly, you know, if, if your goal is to create a healthy population, the most staggering and obvious failure there is the complete lack of emphasis on preventative care mm -hmm. you know the that the institutions um both the medical institutions and the supporting institutions provide no incentive to eat the right foods and to exercise and to take care of your mental well health mm -hmm. before issues arise that will allow them to collect money from you <laughs> <laughs> so yeah but you've opened the doors to some very interesting philosophical things now because i wasn't sure um what your answer would be to whether or not you can compete with yourself i would i was like is he going to view self-competition as a different concept or is he going to say that you can compete with yourself and that is the interesting one right because yeah. if you say you can compete with yourself um and it's agreed upon that competition requires two entities right mm -hmm. then we've entered into a dualistic paradigm and then the question becomes, who are the two entities that are competing? And I think that- There are actually three, me, myself, and I. Right. And so <laughs> when we look at that, right, it, we're, we're not going into Cartesian dualism necessarily because there's aspects of the argument that have become outmoded. But from a modern perspective, we can, we can say, well, who are we competing against when we are competing yes. with ourselves? And I think it's the two- different ways of of thinking right we have our executive function our prefrontal cortex our rational thought and it's not completely separate i don't want to no, they no, are no. integrated yeah. certainly yeah. but we also have um the lizard brain right we have our <laughs> yes. our amygdala and our 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 uh, you know all the the lower structures of the brain 
And so in psychology, in neuroanatomy, right, what we refer to these as is the dorsal stream and the ventral stream, right? And so these streams communicate with each other. They talk, right? Um, but I think when they talk, that conversation is the competition. I agree. Right. And, and you, so you've said that you've pinpointed that very well because of your because of your education and your training. You're, yes. And so it's a, it's a dialogue. And I, and I wish we would change our prepositions. Not, not you and I here. I just, more broadly, humanity. Not, not competing against. Yeah. Striving for. To me, there's a negative and a positive pole charge in, in, in just those two phrases. Yeah, or even changing uh, from against to with, right? Because yeah. we do that with ourselves. We d you would never say, I'm competing against myself. You say, I'm competing with myself, right? <laughs> because to compete against yourself sounds pretty schizophrenic, right? But to compete with yourself, um, it opens up that, that little bit of nuance where you go, okay, I can understand competing with myself. Because when I open the cupboard to get a snack and I see a candy bar next to a bag of peanuts, and I have to make a choice, that's where the competition is. Who is going to win out, right? The rational part of my brain that knows this is good for my health and this is what's going to give me sustained energy levels throughout the day. <laughs> and the part of my brain that goes, that is tasty, you know? And that, so I think that, yes, there is a competition and there is um, two, two entities that are mutually relied upon. And I don't think that that is isolated to the singular human being. No. Right? Because the singular human being presents itself as a fascinating case study when we talk about establishing the two entities. But within Buddhist thought, right? Like you and I were talking be before the show, everything is viewed as one thing. Everything is interdependent on each other and is part of one thing. It's true, right? That's, and plenty of physicists have talked about this. And the book we just talked about last week, right? Talks about this. Um, you know, talking about how we should refer to the universe as us, right? And we should, you know, we are all one part of a one thing. Well, if that's an attitude that we took to the outside world, I think some of our environmental and climate issues would 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 uh, resolve themselves. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think it would, it, they would be approached very differently. Yeah. And on a personal level, right, I think that if many people, like you said, were having a dialogue and were allowing for some competition rather than just having the one part of their brain roll over and just go with the other part, then the preventative measures would, would work better, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you have that incentive you know, if, if somewhere in, in your brain you go, you know what? I don't care. I have enough money to to get what I need to live. And I have, you know, a job that I'd like to do. So why would I leave that for a job that that I don't like for a little bit more money or a little bit more prestige? Or why would I why would I do these Which things? Which is counterintuitive to what the social training, the economic training seems to be but but you have to this is what i forget what the pills are with uh, oh, red and blue yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. morpheus i mean there it is do we wake up and look at 
what is what is pushing us that's not to say it's not like a, a wonderful movie where you can escape it because well the sequels have shown that you really can it's mm. it's it's not that you wake up and say oh well i can change the whole world because now i see it no but i know what's pushing at me and therefore i can strive for something else mm. yeah and i think that the important part is is to identify the striving as a positive part of of being alive right mm. life is striving mm. right and that's the comp competition from the very beginning has been that right and so the striving for survival um was the initial impetus and and we are very fortunate that many of us in modern day um you know in a modern country don't have to worry about the survival aspect as much. There's a lot of people around the world that do. And that right there should be enough, right? To sort of shine some light on how petty some of what we consider so important that we're willing to throw away our time and throw away our well-being. And, and throw away our humanity, because even here, we have people who would it's been it's been made very clear. If it hadn't been clear up until 2024, it's very clear. Uh, legislatively, hundreds of pieces of legislation which want people of LGBTQ plus people not to be recognized as public uh, as people in public. So you you throw away a, a part of a population because you say, well, we don't need. No human is in a position to be able to say, I don't need you. <laughs> We've never been in that position, else we wouldn't have a society as it is. We don't have the, uh, we have the arrogance uh, to say it, but we don't have anything that can back that up. I, I think that, and, and survival is a word, isn't it? Mm. When, when it, I think if, well, there are a lot of sociologists by the way, even sociology has been removed from public education in Florida. Mm -hmm. Sociology says we need certain things from other people. We need to build together, right? That we can, we can push, we can strive. But it it just seems to me that we 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 we. And sociology says too that we don't we can't think globally. The human brain, I don't know if you're encountering this in your studies, mm. but, but but the human brain just can't conceive of dealing with problems on a planetary level. It's it's all about where I live right now. All right, let's take for a moment that maybe that's it. It takes too much effort to strive beyond that. Um we don't need people telling us what is the problem. We need to be honest with ourselves and say, what is the most important thing? to me now for my survival is it all these things that people are trying to legislate and say are threats no what is it that i need more of yeah exactly i think that's that's a great point right because there are so many things encompassed in survival and again i think this has been warped by with the warping of the evolutionary paradigm right with the survival of the fittest mm -hmm. and, and the, the survival of the strongest right we think of survival you know, ele in, at an elementary level, survival is just not dying, right? And we've moved beyond that. And we've moved beyond that for honestly, you know, it's, it's probably been 
thousands of years <laughs> in some cases, right? Where we've had civilization and the human animal, right, has reached a level where survival is no longer just a physical thing, right? If you were to take, you know, a human being and put them in a room by themselves and give them food and water and everything they needed to survive, they still wouldn't survive because you need people, right? Mm. You need, there are things that you need beyond just the, the physical necessities in order to survive. And yeah. some of those things are interaction and stimulation and relationships and meaning. These abstract concepts that we talk about on the show every week that, that are hard to grasp and hard to um, think of as being uh, an integral part of our reality, but they are, right? Yeah. And so when we are making laws and we're establishing you know, what's important, is what is important making sure that everybody has access to these sorts of things or is it playing games in order to distribute remove access yeah yeah see that that's the it it puts the pedal to the metal on what we really mean with enormously large concept words Hmm. like freedom and liberty and those things and and it's so easy to take that apart when you when you look at a local level yeah and we talked about this on the show before right because there's you know a a segment of the population um that that justifies maltreatment of certain groups by saying that they have their freedoms you can't impinge upon my freedoms and we talked about how part of freedom is is limitation and i think that this is highlighted by um the definitions of competition that we've talked about it, so far it, it is it's finding the niches right and so part of that niche and i think again this is what everybody's trying to do it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on no you're trying to find a space for yourself and for everybody else you know for you for your family for your community for your country for the species and, and and to thrive right and you're trying to establish those borders and and everybody's making decisions about where they're willing to collaborate where they're willing to compromise yeah. where they're willing to compete and there's there's no widespread agreement on on any of those things mm-hmm. and so the niches are uh, attempting to be established and it's something that will will always continue on it's never going to be settled right but that brings up the question is there such a thing as healthy competition or an I- in an ideal world would competition cease to exist would it all be collaboration no, I, I, I can't. <laughs> until the human animal becomes something very different than it is. I, 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 I can't give myself that, that, that pipe dream. Yeah. You know what it makes me think of? It, it, it brings me back to our conversation last week about white holes and about equilibrium, right? Yeah. You think about how we talked at the end about how you have the wave that rushes through. And so all of, all of reality, right? All of our universe is, is just this potential energy. And that that's the only way we could survive. If, if there was no potential energy and, and everything went to e- equilibrium, we wouldn't be able to think. We wouldn't be able to have no. memories. We wouldn't have anything. I feel like it's sort of the same way on a social level, right? I think in theory, 100% collaboration with no competition sounds good. But I think at that point, you lose the ability for new ideas and you lose the ability to to have people challenge what the status quo is and to adapt, and, to adapt to, to new situations. To adapt to new situations and to challenge themselves. Hmm. You lose, in short, fun. 
Yeah. Probably never thought I was going to say it. <laughs> you know, until, I don't want to take away. I, you know, I, I know so many people who as are Buffalo Bills fans. I have, I have endless fun talking with them because they're so intense about it. We're winning or we lost. What's we? <laughs> what, what any part of we is that just the, and I, I ask people this sometimes and they twist their faces and they go, well, what do you mean? We, do you live in Buffalo? Do you, what is your association with this? Have you thought about this? It's okay to be a social. I love Marvel movies. I don't work in Marvel studios. But but what is this we? What does it mean? And I don't think lots of people slow down and do that. But I will tell you that. The, the, so I think that it, it, it is fine competition. It's fine to learn that you can lose and lose and lose and get close and then still lose and still say, okay, fine. We'll come back. Whatever. There's something um, very important in human nature about that. But I saw something in in a deli I like to frequent uh, nearby this this very week. It was two young men. They were sitting at a table. Uh, I'd, I'd gone in to get a cookie, <laughs> and and uh, one was really seriously and started smiling, but really seriously talking to this other guy. He was frowning at his phone, and 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 the the one guy says to the other, "Hey, man, listen." Don't throw away your friendship because of a Bills game. <laughs> so whatever had been happening, this this thing that was going on texting in the one friend's hand, and it was clearly they were at such blows <laughs> verbally that the other guy is concerned that they're throwing away a friendship for competition. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so there, so there are the boundaries. Yeah. Right. Fun. Okay absurdity no right right yeah no i mean i like watching the bills right but it, i had a similar experience at work right where um you know the bills the bills lost in the playoffs oh you know but like i watched the game i rooted for the bills the bills lost i immediately went about my life yeah and uh nothing nothing else came so the next day i went into work and my boss threw me a uh a Reese's pumpkin candy bar, and I dropped it. I said, "Oops, I Stefan digs that one." I go, "Oh," is, I said, "Is it too soon?" Is it too? Soon? Everybody said, "Yes, it's too soon," you know. But then there was another guy, right, who called into work because he was so upset about this, right? And you go, yeah. "It's just, it's just not that important, right?" Um, and you, the other thing that I was thinking about as you were talking, right, about how losing and losing and losing, but keep going, right? You have these phrases that highlight that that I like. One of them is. One of them is you can't fail until you stop failing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You might be you might be failing, you might be losing, but until you stop trying, you haven't actually failed, right? You are continuing to strive, to strive, to compete, right? You're continuing to try. You haven't failed until, because again, the sports paradigm is is a false paradigm, right? There is the start and the end, you know, at, at the end of the game of life right there isn't this period afterwards where you get to celebrate your victory or mourn your loss it's just over right mm -hmm. and so as a result if you just keep it doesn't matter if you fail all the way through life if you never give up then when you get to the end and lights are out you don't, you don't even know if you lost or you won right because <laughs> it, it's all about what was happening during the time right yes that's and, it. and you and i have been very vocal about um I, it's a point of pride for me to be a great failure 
and I love doing new things and struggling mighty with with them at the mm-hmm. beginning because mm-hmm. that's what gives you new perspective and insight into life. And a, another phrase that people use is, is failing upwards, right? <laughs> yes, Which I is, <laughs> again, that's another thing where, you know, I just... I get into something new and I make mistakes and then you learn something from them and then you try it again and you do better, but you still mess up. And because the fact of the matter is you can't win anything in life. No. You you never create the perfect song. It's, you never earn the most money. There's always somebody, there, you know, as, as Qui-Gon Jinn would say, there's always a bigger fish, right? <laughs> and so you don't, yeah. don't worry about being, don't worry about being the bigger fish. Just worry about being you, right? Just yeah. worry about what you're, what you're doing. How are you enjoying what you're doing? Does, does, I don't even know what he plays. I'm sorry. Stefan Diggs, whatever. Does he have any fun when he's doing it? If he does, then he has already succeeded. Mm. That doesn't mean he's not feeling bad, but when we encourage people to blame one person or to blame a, a person uh, who is trying to be better, then, then that's counterproductive. That's not a dialogue again. Hmm. Uh, it, it, yeah, and, and then we have these spatial metaphors. I know we don't have time for this one right now, but the whole idea of up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what what is up and down, right? Because failing up, right? You can see, I can imagine a guy in a three-piece suit saying that just as well as me, right? Because the guy in the three-piece suit might be saying, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe you just keep applying for jobs that you're not qualified for and, you know, struggle on your way through learning them to earn the most money. And then eventually, someday you'll be at the top of the company. And you still might not be a happy, fulfilled person, right? Whereas what I'm talking about is is exactly that, right? I want to live a happy, fulfilled life, and I don't care what that looks like, right? I, don't I need to be in the head people, of the company, right? And people have asked me that on on podcasts, right? That I've been guests on. So what you know, I they they go they cover all my interests and all the things <laughs> I've done. They say, "Wow, so what do you want to be when you grow up?" And I go, <laughs> "I want to be a guy who can have a podcast and make albums, and you know." I want to, I'm doing, I've designed my life to do the things that I like to do and hopefully to do a lot of things that I haven't done yet. Right. So that's, that's, you know, that's, that's failing up for me. So yeah, the directionality depends on what your, what your goals are. Aristotle says in the Nicomachean ethics, which we've talked about before, before, just as at the Olympic games, it is not the best looking or the strongest men present that are crowned with wreaths. But the competitors, because it is from them that the winners come, so it is that those who act that rightly win the honors, so those who act rightly win the honors and rewards in life. But acting does not mean you are winning all of those things. Acting means you are taking part. So even the competitors who lose have helped you win. Right. That's ancient and it's still <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was it's great. So a lot of the research that I did and the philosophers that I read referenced ego in regard to competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Do you think that egocentrism is needed for competition? And in this regard, I'm not even talking about ego as a um you know uh, as we colloquially think about it as this negative self-centered thing, but just maybe even the conception of of yourself as an individual um mm-hmm. 
Do, do you think that that's necessary for competition? Yes. <laughs> because we can't, we can't and still be human, uh, completely avoid that. If you completely avoid that, perhaps you become a Buddha hmm. or, but it's there. I mean, no, no one tries to rise <laughs> to an office, uh, without some element of ego, uh, that, that says, well, it doesn't have to be arrogance, but it, but it has to be, well, but I could be suited to this. I have a skill set. I have a, well, okay. And, and so to not acknowledge that might be, uh, wrong for me. It might be, uh, harmful for me. Uh, or just to say, well, I've got the skill set that somebody wants. I don't necessarily, I don't want necessarily want to do anything with that, but, um, it's interesting that somebody's recognized that. Now, maybe I'll think about that skill set and maybe I'll work on the skill set some more. But that's ego. Hmm. It's not, it's not ego centric unless it's all you're thinking about, but it's egoism in recognizing that as a unique human being, you have capacities that could be of use to others. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I think that you do need to have a conception of self in order to contextualize competition. But at the same time, in nature, there is blind competition, right? We talked about the forest canopy. Well, uh, well, right? sure, so, sure. So there's obviously, there's not an ego there, but there is, there is some recognition of the individual as an individual. Right. And we know this based off of mycelia formations, right? The trees send the trees signals and nutrients. Signals, yeah. So the trees compete. They compete for sunlight and for water. And then they also collaborate. They share. They share. They share. So even with the trees where there's no central nervous system, there's no brain or anything, there is some sort of recognition of the individual as an individual. And we see this at microscopic levels too, right? Bacteria and amoeba and these sorts of things. They can recognize what's food that can be consumed and they anything that has a a border right anything that has a contained unit is able to recognize itself as an individual which is an interesting implication for the ego and consciousness right it's really a very it it, it, it is and i love where you've gone with that so i'm just going to toss this in <laughs> with a little wolverine on the side merlin <laughs> was the best he was at what he did within the space of his mythic story hmm. he knew when to stop he taught his best student everything that he could she became a villain in some of the stories because she sealed him up in a tree or a cave but there are other stories that I think tell it much better. She gave him a way out. <laughs> and then she went on with the work. That I think that that's applicable to so many competitive moments in our current history. <laughs> and I think that it highlights why, um, again, like we talked about in the past two episodes with black holes and white holes, why we're fascinated by things that, that appear to lack these boundaries, mm -hmm. right? Because Identification as an individual is so inherent to life. 
and even to the universe in, in, in a lot of ways that when you see something that, that lacks a boundary, lacks a beginning or an end or, mm-hmm. or a space or a time, you go, well, what's, what's going on here? You know, yeah. and it, that's what really sort of sparks our imagination. But because we, we struggle with that embodied, like you said, Merlin knew when to stop, right? And all of us humans have finite lifespans and trees, right? You can increase the health of a tree by, by pruning it, right? Some branches are lose the competition, right? They, they must be cut. You must cause that tree some harm in order for it to become the best version of what it will be. And that's what we do in our own lives when we make sacrifices of our time or of choosing not to go down one path or choosing another one in order to try to strengthen. You don't want to just let all of the branches grow, right? Because it weakens the overall individual but there's the outside there's the outside incentive the tree isn't deciding yeah <laughs> which branches are going to come down the owner or the tender of the tree says oh i can make you a better tree so maybe maybe that's the evolutionary force in competition to say i'm going to make you a better tree and you're going to lose this <laughs> right in order okay but but there's always something outside yeah yeah and that Again, that just creates the <laughs> more more fodder for future episodes, right? So until next time, keep talking.